Authority Member Sullivan? Here. Stockton? Ritchie? Here. Silva? Here. Wiley? Here. Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Roberts? Here. Mayor Roulette? I am present. If you will, please stand with me for a moment of silence. Approval of agenda. Do we have any changes to the agenda, Mr. City Manager? No, we do not, Mayor. Thank you. I got a motion to second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Item four, approval of minutes. I have a motion to second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? It's unanimous. Item five, there are no presentations. Item six, consent calendar. Anybody from the Council wants to pull any item off the consent calendar. I see none. Anybody from the audience want to? No, it's just to pull things off the consent calendar. Okay, I'll entertain motion for consent. Mr. Mayor? Yes. If I may, I believe that there's one recusal on an item on the consent calendar for uh, Does Council Member Stockton. What, what item do you want to? Okay. Regarding acceptance of public improvements for North Village Unit 7B because my residence is located in the area close to the project. If I've you, been informed by the city attorney that because 6B is a consent calendar item, I can remain in the room during the vote on that item. If you could have been just a one more minute late, we wouldn't even have to go through that. Sorry, can I get a motion on A and C? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? We have none, and then we'll take 8B. I got a motion. Uh, all those in favor? Aye. All right, so we will move to item seven, business from the floor, this time to address the city council with issues that are not on this agenda, but are within our subject matter jurisdiction. I think that's, yes, sir, come on up. My name is William Carlson. Can you guys hear me all right? Yeah, okay, perfect. Good. Thank you. Um, my, my problem is um, I have a house at 107 Luzina, and I have an ADU that I'm, that's built as well that it's, it's not occupied yet. And there's two more. Uh, there's 606 West and 612 West has occupied ADUs as well. And that when they took Merchant Street, when they took the left off of West, they closed it. You can't go there. What people are doing, and I've already had talked to the engineer in the traffic, and he put this thing out and counted the cars uh, last year <laughs> because of those and the concern. What they're doing is they're turning left on Walnut, and then they're taking right in that alley, and they're stomping on it, and they're uh, getting a shortcut to get to back on the west. And um, it's, it's, I can't even, um, when, I'm, when I'm building, um, they start backing up cars just to unload a pickup truck or something, you know, and it's and I'm getting a lot of problems with people telling me I, I'm blocking the street, which it's a service alley, and I'm not blocking it. Um, 
but it's it's funneled down. We're doing the best we can. We don't ever park out there, you know, all night or anything like that. There's kids are playing there. Sounds no, like a nightmare. It's not a street, and this was was, was a. I don't know how they thought this one out, but it's not working because they're, they're, the diversion was probably supposed to go to uh, Mason, right there at the cleaners. And then, you know, because the people I've talked to all live either on citrus or ash or something. And it's just a habit of them going. So they, they take that little jaunt and they just stomp on it and shoot and they're back in on a Lazina. And then it's, uh, that wasn't, the, I don't think that was in the design. Right. I mean, well, if you can, if you wouldn't mind, you go to write to our city clerk, give me your name and number. Public Works just heard what you said. Yeah, I, I we'll talked up. to the Public Works, and then they, I, I had a good result. They went out right away, put the thing off the pole. That was last year. It lasted like maybe four or five hours, and they pulled it. Um, I never did get a count on how many cars went through there. Okay. It's, uh, the, the main times that's bad when the school starts again, they, the people come out of the school with their kids and then they're shooting through right. there too. And now uh, then in the, and in the evening at four, five, you know, when people right. are coming home, uh, they're, they're just, they just think it's just, they're coming off a 30 mile an hour street and they get in that alley and they just stomp on it. So I just, you know, I, I, I can see it already happening because I've had close calls and it, it wasn't, I don't think you anyway would have wanted to design it like that. It's a right. service alley, it's a little, and and they're using it, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, I appreciate you coming down, letting us know. Thank Can you, you very uh, much. work on that for me? Yep, that's what we'll do. Thank you, Ron. Absolutely. Appreciate it, you guys. Yes, sir. Anybody else for public comment? Good evening, Mayor, Council Members. Uh, my name is Dana Dean, and I'm here representing NextEra Energy, Corby Energy Storage. Um, I had a big speech written in follow up to my prior comments at the last city council meeting, wherein uh, council member Sullivan was acting as the presiding officer and act, asked staff to respond to my comments or follow up. Uh, I did get a follow up today at 513 when I was already in the parking lot. I got a message from um, Ms. Morris, and then she just spoke to me today to indicate that we are gonna be on the agenda for August 23rd. That's wonderful news. However, I'm gonna ask for some, some a little bit more solid information on that, in particular because we have been on the agenda before and been kicked with less than 24 hours notice. We are now nine months in to the application process. So I'm gonna ask you very specifically, and it is your job, I'm asking you, to confirm that the matter will be on for 823 and it will actually be heard that night. We're really looking forward to the opportunity to present to you and then to work with you subsequent to the hearing. So um, again, I appreciate Ms. Morris letting me know, but I really would like some, uh, some uh, more concrete confirmation that we will actually be heard. Thank Absolutely. you for your time. Thank you so much for coming down. Thank you. Any other public comments? If not, I'm gonna close. Yes, sir. Uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor, council members. My name is Andy Stefanoni. I'm the president of the Vacaville Police Officers Association. Law enforcement is still one of the most important jobs in the world. Uh, we are doing our very best to protect the city and its people, but we need your help. We continue to do more with less, uh, but it's not sustainable. If nothing changes by December, about 25% of our uh, staffing is reduced. 
Uh, right now, it's essentially the same staffing as it was in 2008. Uh, since then, we've had, what, 15 to 20 housing developments, uh, thousands of homes, and tens of thousands of new residents. Uh, our dispatchers take about 150,000 calls a year, and that's about 10,000 calls more in the recent past. They literally do eight things at once, and we need several more dispatchers, and we need to create multiple call-taking <laughs> positions. They absolutely need your help. Uh, not next fiscal year, not next month, right now. Uh, I'm here to implore you to find every creative way to help us find good people to serve this community. Uh, from larger hiring incentives to officers and dispatchers, uh, retention incentives uh, to recruitment incentives, and any and all benefits in between to help us find good people. Uh, we are very, very close to catastrophic staffing levels, and I'm sure you've seen what's going on in other cities. We are doing our very best to uh, help fight to keep Vacaville safe, and I am asking you to help us fight. Thank you very much for your time Absolutely. and your attention. Thank you. Good on. evening. My name is Drew. I'm a member of the Vacaville Firefighters Association. Over the last decade, we've seen a reduction in our benefits as firefighters in this city, most notably our retiree medical benefits for new members. As those benefits began to disappear, we warned that the loss of such incentives would make us a stepping stone department and a revolving door. And it appears that's exactly what's become of our fire department. This year alone, we've seen seven firefighters leave our department for neighboring agencies. That's nearly 15% of our firefighter rank. Uh, two of these resignations are particularly hard to swallow as both of those gentlemen were born and raised in the city of Vacaville. They're living and raising their families here, but they've cho chosen to be firefighters somewhere else. These are avoidable vacancies uh, that have left us with record amounts of forced overtime and browned out units within the city. Prior to Measure M, the city conducted a costly study known as the Bregman study. 73% of the citizens polled stated that their number one priority was maintaining our fire department. Fast forward to a recent meeting when you were all tasked with placing your priorities for strategic initiatives Four of you placed the fire department nearly dead last on a list of eight items. Given the Bregman study, the current state of our recruitment and retention issues, the record amount of forced overtime, browned out units, and the fact that we have a measure, a tax measure specifically meant for maintaining essential services, or you placed the fire department on your list of priorities, frankly didn't make sense to me or my fellow firefighters. It feels as though we're operating as if it's 2009. Even though the city is financially stable, arguably as it's ever been. Your public safety employees are the lifeblood of this great city. And we're waving a warning flag to you tonight. My members deserve bold action now that only the seven of you can provide. Uh, that action needs to provide relief to your firefighters while not diminishing the level of service that our citizens expect and deserve. Thank you. Good evening, Council, Mr. Mayor. I'm Matt Marino, president of the Vacaville Firefighters Association. And I wrote a letter to all of you nearly two months ago describing the unprecedented situation we find ourselves in with the brownout of one of our ambulances. 
I also informed you about the staffing shortages due to our members leaving for other departments, inflated workers' comp cases due to excessive shifts, and a spike in mental health services usage due to burnout. I stand here today frustrated and quite appalled that after that letter was sent, we only heard back from four of you. It did not spike the interest of all of you when we had an ambulance burned out or browned out in our city. Rumor even has it that some of you were more concerned about the timing of the brownout so close to negotiations with Local 3501. This is unacceptable. And I wanna make something clear before I get too frustrated that I don't intend to mention any names. I don't want to send any personal attacks. At the end of the day, I do respect each and every one of you. I consider some of you my friends. And at the end of the day, I think we all love this city as much as I do. We just have different ways of going about it. And there's a level of respect for that but I am frustrated. Uh, and as we know, Vacaville does have that small town feel. And with that, we hear the chatter that goes around with the citizens and even public figures like yourselves. We've heard that some of you don't like unions and flat out don't like the union that I stand here represent today. We've heard that some of you don't like our mayor because he quote unquote, always takes care of public safety. We've even seen a text message sent from one of you that states, states that you want to take out public safety in the city of Vacaville. So let me remind you all what this union really is. This union that we talk about is not this logo that people wear and go negotiate contracts. The union is the men and women who run out that door when the tones go off to help our citizens. That is the union. That's always been the union and always will be. Public safety is the foundation of the quality of life in the city of Vacaville. And, it's, and, and you're not hurting our union, you're hurting the citizens we swore to protect. And I think it's important to talk about how we got here. Why are we having so much trouble recruiting and retaining the best like we once did? And to be completely honest, it is an industry-wide problem. It's not necessarily unique to just Vacaville. But when we compare ourselves to neighboring cities, we just did a nationwide recruitment for lateral firefighter paramedics and we came out with two. Meanwhile, our neighbors in Fairfield camp had over 30, including two of ours. Some of them were homegrown. I think it's time we really stop, we put down the conflict with the union and we start serving the citizens. That's what they deserve. Enough is enough. I want the hatred to be put aside. We're always willing to sit down and always willing to talk. Nothing is ever more important than these citizens. I got a call from our mental health professional a couple weeks ago stating, asking if we could have the International Association of Firefighters get involved because we have a suicidal firefighter. Enough is enough. We have $56 million in a reserve fund for a rainy day and it is absolutely pouring on our fire department right now. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment? Seeing none, I'm gonna close public comment. And we will move to item eight, Mr. City Manager, 8A. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. This first item before you is an ordinance adopting and approving the Vacaville Police Department policy for mil military equipment use. Police Chief Ian Schmutzler and his team are here to make a presentation. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of the council, city staff. 
Uh, it's an honor and privilege to be before you tonight with Lieutenant Aaron Dahl and Sergeant Dustin Willis, who are going to present uh, Assembly Bill 481, our military equipment use policy. Good evening. Um, I'll just kind of go through this. Feel free at any moment to stop me and ask questions. If not, when we get to the very end, um, we'll be able to entertain any questions and uh, provide any, any insight or any additional information you may need to. So what is Assembly Bill 481? Well, on September 30th, 2021, Governor Newsom signed eight police reform bills to include AB 481. AB 481 is a bill that requires law enforcement agencies to create a policy inventory list and a yearly report on what is now deemed military equipment by AB 481. The use of the equipment must be approved by the city council. The policy and department equipment list must be posted on the department's website which it is, and an open community meeting must be held where questions can be asked and answered, which is this evening. Um, there are 15 categories uh, that are considered military equipment, and I'll run through the definition on each of them. Uh, we do not have equipment in every one of these categories, but I will go over all of them. Uh, category one, uh, unmanned, remotely piloted, powered aerial or ground vehicles. Number two, mine-resistant, ambush-protected vehicles or armored personnel carriers. Number three, high-mobility, multi-purpose wheeled vehicles, two-and-a-half or five-ton trucks or wheeled vehicles that have a breaching apparatus attached, track armored vehicles that provide ballistic protection. Category five, command and control vehicles that are either built or modified to facilitate the operational control and direction of the public safety units. Category six, weaponized aircraft vessels or vehicles of any kind. Category seven, battering rams, slugs, and breaching apparatuses that are explosive. Category eight, firearms of 50 caliber or greater. Category nine, ammunition of 50 caliber or greater. Category 10, specialized firearms and ammunition of less than 50 caliber. Category 11, any firearm or firearm accessory that is designed to launch explosive projectiles. Category 12, noise, flash, diversionary devices, and explosive breaching tools, munitions containing tear gas or OC, excluding service-issued pepper spray. Category 13, taser, shockwave, microwave weapons, water cannons, and long-range acoustic devices. Category 14, kinetic energy weapons and munitions. Category 15, any other equipment as determined by a governing body or a state agency requiring additional oversight. So why military equipment is needed. Uh, the goal of any police contact is a safe, peaceful resolution for the involved parties, the public and officers. The majority of the equipment listed and possessed by the Vacaville Police Department are de-escalation tools. Some equipment can be used in deadly force situations to defend the lives of the public and officers placed at risk by the suspect. Uh, so now I'll go through the categories where we actually do have equipment and briefly touch on them. Category one, the Vacaville Police Department has several drones and two remote control robots. Uh, the drones and robots allow officers to search areas that are not safe to enter, such as houses with armed barricaded suspects. Uh, drones are also used to search for missing persons. Category two, uh, the Vacaville Police Department has a large armored vehicle that was supplied by the military. The vehicle allows officers to safely approach a location with ballistic protection. 
The vehicle can be used as a rescue vehicle for the public and officers when there is a threat of gunfire by an armed subject. Category five, the Vacaville Police Department has a motorhome, which is used as a command post at major incidents and large community events such as Fiesta Days. The command post provides a central location for police command, emergency dispatchers, and negotiators. Category seven, the Vacaville Police Department has ballistic breaching shotguns and explosive breaching devices. These breaching tools are used during high-risk operations and emergency situations. The tools allow officers quick and safer access to fortified or barricaded locations. This includes, but is not limited to, rescuing hostages or active shooter situations. Category 10, the Vacaville Police Department Sniper rifles, SWAT rifles, and associated sniper ammunition fall under this category. These types of firearms give officers the ability to engage a suspect who is posing a threat to human life at extended distances. Category 11, the Vacaville Police Department have a modified police shotgun which allows SWAT members to deploy chemical munitions from greater distances. Distance provides officers with an additional layer of safety. All chemical munitions are primarily used as de-escalation de tools designed to create or induce a safe resolution to a situation where there is a risk of violence and avoid a deadly force situation. Category 12, the Vacaville Police Department utilized several different items that fall under this category. Flashbang, diversionary devices, chemical munitions, pepper balls, and less lethal impact munitions. All of these items are primarily used as de-escalation tools to create or induce a safe resolution to a situation where there is a risk of violence and avoid a deadly force situation. Category 14, these are the projectile launch platforms used to deploy the munitions listed in category 13. Uh, there are beanbag shotguns, pepper ball guns, and a 40 millimeter launcher. 40 millimeter launchers deploy chemical munitions and less lethal impact munitions. The majority of the aforementioned items are used exclusively by the Vacaville Police Department SWAT team. This equipment is primarily used on SWAT high-risk operations where there's a potential for interacting with armed and dangerous suspects. The equipment is used to safely resolve the situation and take the suspect into custody without turning into a deadly force encounter. Uh, this was the case on several operations in 2021 and recently in 2022. Some of the military equipment items are also issued to our patrol officers and detectives who encounter violent suspects posing a risk to the public. These items are used as de-escalation tools where there is a threat of violence. The equipment is used to avoid a deadly force encounter. De-escalation. All the equipment listed is contemporary police equipment used by departments across the nation. We're not using anything that is totally uh, foreign to other police departments. We're using the same thing as every other police department uses. The Vacaville Police Department authorizes and issues the majority of this equipment to give officers the best chance to safely resolve critical incidents and avoid deadly force encounters. However, there is no guarantee that the equipment listed will ensure a safe resolution. Only an individual's willingness to comply can guarantee a safe resolution. Uh, training and compliance on all of these. Uh, the use of military equipment is governed by state and federal law and the Vacaville Police Department policy manual. Members using the equipment receive annual training on its use. 
and perform yearly qualifications. Use of the equipment is documented in reports and reviewed by supervisory personnel. Um, and before I get through the conclusion, um, you know, I, we had a recent operation over in the 1500 block uh, of Alamo where we used uh, a great deal of this equipment. Um, and I'd kind of like Sergeant Willis to kind of walk through that operation just so you understand how we use this stuff and how we were able to avoid uh, a deadly situation that probably would have occurred 10 years ago when we didn't have the majority of this equipment and how this equipment probably saved uh, the individual's life. Do we have a quick fix? Yes. Okay. Uh, sure, we had an um, operation, I forget what month, it was this year. Um, they're kind of blending together, but um, we had a report of a uh, armed uh, violent rape, a female reported um, that she was raped at gunpoint by a suspect. Um, we identified that suspect, or I'm sorry, detectives did, um, determined he was inside a certain apartment and the SWAT team was activated, obviously, because of the, the high-risk nature of the incident. Um, my SWAT team surrounded the location. Um, numerous attempts were made to um, make contact with the suspect, which we did. He immediately surrendered. However, um, we determined there was a second subject in the apartment who we did not believe was related to the rape. Um, however, we learned he suffered from significant uh, mental health issues. Um, he hated the police. Um, the suspect, initial suspect, told us that he would fight us, um, if not worse, and force a violent encounter with the SWAT team. Um, in layman's terms, we had a search warrant for this residence, so a, a judge is commanding us to search it. We can't leave. Um, so we made uh, as many attempts as possible to contact this individual. We used our negotiators. Uh, we briefly contacted him. Um, he did indicate he would fight us or worse. Uh, we then used distraction devices. Um, historically, those do a really good job of um, at least psychologically convincing people maybe that we're, we're coming inside. When that's not always the case, we'll use them on the outside of a residence. Um, but historically, like I said, we've had success with people giving up once those are deployed, they're very loud. Um, that did not work. Um, we then uh, attempted to, um, I believe the recording was next, right? Yeah, we then attempted to have his mother um, negotiate with him. She initially refused. However, she provided us with a recording. We then used our, um, our robot uh, to enter the residence, which it can talk to people and listen. Um, it can also play recordings for us. So we used that recording to contact the individual. It appeared like it was gonna work. It then did not, and the individual refused to come out. Um, we then used drones to enter the residence. Um, they give us a little bit better vantage point um, uh, to the, the robots low to the ground so we can't see on top of counters, things like that. Uh, the drones did identify several rooms that had firearms laying out in plain view. It's a very small apartment. Um, had we made entry, he would have had access to the firearms much quicker than we could get to him. Um, so we knew he was armed, uh, which the original suspect uh, stated he was. Uh, we then continued our attempts to negotiate through the robot. Uh, those did not work. Um, and it was clear they were not gonna work uh, based on his demeanor. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, we then deployed um, fairly mild, what we would call mild dose of chemical agents through our 40 millimeter launchers. Um, they disperse a liquid chemical agent, sometimes powder chemical agent through 40 millimeter. Uh, they're called ferret rounds. Uh, they're designed to go through a window uh, and disperse their payload when they hit something solid like a wall. Uh, we did do that. Um, 
It did affect him. However, um, the suspect still refused uh, to come out. Uh, we then utilized our tactical robot um, to deploy uh, a larger quantity of chemical agents. Um, it has a, a device on it that allows us to use burning gas without the threat of, of burning the house down um, in, in what's called a burn safe. Um, so we took the robot in, we again tried to negotiate. The suspect refused to come out. We deployed a stronger dose of chemical agents uh, is the best way to put it. Um, that did affect the suspect to the point where uh, it incapacitated him and dislodged him, which is one of the intents of chemical agents, uh, so that we don't have to go in there and force a deadly force encounter or use of force. Um, he did make it as far as the living room. Um, however, he stopped next to the room within feet of uh, the room that we knew had firearms in it, um, based on our earlier surveillance. Um, he refused to come out. He kept reaching inside of his jacket as if he was armed with some type of weapon. Um, we then deployed a different type of chemical agent um, that also deploys uh, less lethal um, pellets, rubber pellets that are designed to, to dislodge someone from where they're at. Um, that did work. Um, the suspect removed himself from behind the door and exited. Uh, however, he started to refuse to follow commands. Um, we still believed he was armed at the time uh, because he said he was. Um, a suspect then turned around um, and reached in his jacket, simulating he was attempting to, to retrieve a firearm from his person. We then deployed less lethal beanbag rounds that are shot out of a shotgun uh, to try to dissuade him from doing that. Um, that distracted him long enough for SWAT team members to uh, basically tackle him before um, we had to make a decision whether or not he was armed. Um, so like Lieutenant said, this was probably one of those cases with the exception of some of our breaching tools. I think we used almost every tool we have to, to avoid running into this guy in a, in a situation that I think clearly logically would have resulted in someone getting hurt, either one of us or, or him. Um, so they're very, they're very effective <laughs> and they're very important um, to resolving some of these situations safely. Thank you. So there's any other incidents where we've kind of gone through those same steps this was just one of them i think was a very very good example um, like so we take the use of this equipment very seriously uh, we understand what its capabilities are but we understand the effectiveness of it and how it saves us from having to get into a deadly force situation and again like i said before it doesn't completely eliminate it but it gives us the best chance to avoid that and that is why we are coming for approval to continue to be able to use this equipment because we do not want to get into a deadly force situation. We want to try and resolve every situation as peacefully as we possibly can. And there's just times where people don't want to comply right away. So we have to kind of go through these, uh, these options, pick the best options to, uh, to get compliance. Um, so just in conclusion, you know, the Lackville Police Department military equipment lists and policies posted on the department's transparency portal uh, where it will stay. Um, you know, after this evening, any additional questions or comments uh, can be directed towards me uh, by calling the Vacville Police Department. Um, and then both Sergeant Willis and then Officer Stefanoni, who's uh, in here, are both present and subject matter experts on most of this equipment. So if you have any questions on any of the particular equipment items, uh, one of the two of them would easily be able to answer that question. So I'll take a moment. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for the presentation. Thank you um, for the story. You're welcome. Uh, I'm glad that everyone was safe. I can't tell you how much I appreciate Vacville PD. You guys do a fantastic job. Um, thank you for everything you guys do.
I'm going to open it up to public comment. Seeing no one from public comment, I'm going to close public comment, bring it back to Council Member Silva. Yeah, um, thanks for sharing that, Sergeant. Um, you know, and for a good several hours, I was getting a bunch of uh, text messages with the incident on the Rocky Hill Veterans Apartment. Um, you know, and uh, that's another situation where it was very unfortunate, but the suspect uh, was still apprehended um, alive. Uh, and uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so there's plenty of comments after that. But, um, but it, again, you know, I've had the privilege, uh, thanks to uh, Lieutenant Dahl and others for uh, allowing me to go to different um, trainings, really lighten my perspective of uh, what goes on. And, um, you know, and having this uh, with my limited access to, you know, see, unfortunately, or hear firsthand uh, what goes on. You know, I, I know you guys put a lot of uh, passion and training into what you do to make sure um, that everyone uh, comes home as safe as possible. So I appreciate that and uh, Ian, uh, appreciate what you're doing too as chief. Thanks. Councilmember Ritchie. <laughs> Did I catch you off guard, buddy? I'm always off guard now. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I lost my voice. Um, I think it was amazing. I was listening to the story first and foremost, got to get closer. Um, it, it, was, it was an amazing story that you guys did. It kind of, I was taking notes and it kind of stopped me. The, the slide before was about training. And everything you guys do in that in that incident with SWAT is a form of de-escalation training. I, I, I can't explain how important that is to have uh, verbal communication skills and training. Um, I was at a soccer tournament this weekend, and there was a Fairfield police officer that's on the team, and he's actually in uniform going back and forth, and he had to leave to help. It's in Fairfield, but we're we're shooting the breeze to watch our kids, and he was talking about how important it is. Um, for the officers that have the ability to interact and have that really strong communication skills and how it, it's night and day difference. And so the fact that you guys are doing the training and de-escalation de equipment, hand-in-hand -hand with the equipment, the best equipment is in your, is your guys' minds and the training you guys get to be able to deal with the situation. Like I was just counting, like, there was like six different times when you guys had to go back and recalibrate, back and recalibrate what's next, what's next. And that, that, that just takes composure of really planning. It's like, like you bleed, you know, mourn. The Roman thing, you know, bleed, mourn, and practice less of war. Like all the training you guys do is amazing. Um, I, I just wanted to talk about yeah, the opportunity to see what you guys did. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So I, I, I'm all for just really making sure you guys have the tools. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Councilmember Sullivan. Uh, yeah, a couple quick questions. Uh, first question, um, super easy one, I think, but I'm, I'm wondering if we can add the, the fund of origination to the, the list just next to the dollar amount. Could you just add? I know a lot of cases we get funding from FEMA or elsewhere that's not general fund that pays for a lot of this stuff. So just inferences, could you add that maybe on the future reports? I don't need it now, but I just think that'd be helpful. We do get a lot of questions from the public about, you know, you're using general fund to buy tanks and this, that, and the other. But in a lot of cases, it's a grant or it's some other fund origination source that I think would be helpful to have on the report in the future. Um, the second question I have um, is, it would be helpful for me personally if you guys could maybe email me the, the, like the policy, the protocol, the procedure, when, when do you deploy these items, right? Like what is the, what is the protocol for when you, you pull out the beanbag gun or you use the MRAT or like what does that look like? And, and so I'm assuming we have some sort of detailed policy protocol that, that you train on that, that does that. I, I just personally would like to see kind of what, what is the flag point to say, hey, we need to bring on X, Y, or Z. So I, I don't need a presentation or anything brought back to council. I'd just like to see a copy of the policy and procedure. But, you know, I, I understand, um, you know, it, it, this is kind of a contentious topic in public sometimes, And but I understand you need the right tools for the job and it keeps you guys safe and keeps 
um, other folks safe. I think um, we've seen some horror stories on the news about you know items kind of being deployed on citizens, and that's that's never happened in Vacaville. And again, that's a testament to your training and your responsibility and the way that you take care with with these items. And so, hopefully, that never happens. And I think you guys are in a, in a place where you're trying to make sure that is the same case. So. Um, yeah, I, I mean, again, uh, thank you for presenting it tonight. Um, I, I'd love to see that policy if you've got a copy. Um, other than that, I don't have any questions or comments. Thank you. Councilmember Wiley. Thank you for the information. And I'm glad you said that this is not um, out of the ordinary for other police departments. So departments across the United States have this kind of military equipment. Is that correct? Yes. You know, I could. I can definitely speak for our neighboring agencies in California, mm -hmm. you know, what they may use in the deep south or way up north in these very, very small police permits. You know, I don't have a lot of personal experience with them, but just what I see across the board in, in California. California through our training, um, I'm very confident these are common tools. Okay. And then one thing, I mean, everyone has their own jargon. So you talked about OC. Is OC just mean tear gas, or what is OC? No, there's there's different types of tear gas. Um, OC stands for, I'm going to botch the name. Noni can help me if I don't, but oleoresin capsicum is basically a natural uh, occurring substance. It's pepper. Uh, it just stings really bad, um, but it it is in uh, septic contaminant, Noni. Yeah, so basically our chemical agents work in different ways. The other one's CS. Um, and they affect the body in different ways. So sometimes um, we've had operations, I can, I can tell you stories if you'd like, but we've had operations where we find that CS isn't affecting uh, or dislodging the person like we want, we may use OC. Um, so they're just different types of chemical agents. I see. So is one of them pepper spray or not pepper, pepper spray? Pepper spray is OC. It's the OC yes, but that. it's also okay. found in other munitions. It's found in powdered form. It can be um, in 40 millimeter rounds. It, it can come in different things other than that canister that you're referring to, but same substance. Okay, and then you talked about annual training, but the training's not just once a year, isn't it? Is you trained throughout the year or? Yeah, the SWAT team, yes. We use chemical agents well, quite a bit operationally, um, but also we, I would say on average, at least twice a year, um, qualify on, on not only the nomenclature, what our munitions look like, but how to deploy them. Um, everyone gets trained on, on how they're deployed through the different launching capabilities we have um, or by hand. All right. And I thought it was very good to have this comprehensive list of everything together and by categories. And um, at the Travis Air Show, I went to the command center and I, I'd never been in before and I thought it was very interesting and I could really see you know, the value of having that and um, the fact that you've had it for quite some time and, and I just thought that was very interesting. My one question that did kind of stand out to me was you know, the $9,000 rifle. And so there was this rifle and that rifle and the other rifle. So, I mean, do you need all those rifles and a $9,000 rifle? That's, it was just kind of expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and rifles last for a long time because, you know, talked about lifespan. So. Yeah, rifles, uh, they're expensive. That's, that's all I can say. And I, to, to qualify that, um, you know, we don't go out there and buy the most expensive rifle on the market. We test them. Our current rifles that we bought last go around um, are used by some um, pretty reputable agencies um, like LAPD, LASOSEB, uh, which are probably two of the best SWAT teams in the country. Um, the rifles get expensive because of things that go on them. Um, so the uh, sight, the optics that help us be more accurate and acquire a target, depending on what, if you're talking about a sniper rifle, mm -hmm. they can be thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, if you're talking about just our rifle, that's a th it's almost the cost of 
the firearm itself just to have that optic. And then you add flashlights, and then you add um, hand grips, and then you add uh, IR designators so we can see at night. Um, and that adds up quite a bit. Right, the, on the $9,000 one, it said, oh, you can get colors and different things. So I thought we were going, you know, we weren't going for every different no. option, but it said including the optics. So I thought the optics were probably what cost it. Yeah, right. they're expensive. All right, thank you very much. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, I think aside from Councilmember Stockton, um, probably the only other person on here that's used almost all of these at some point in my career. I assume for uh, you guys, probably somewhere where I do my certifications, if I, I've had most of these left and least or less than lethal things used on myself before I was allowed to use them. I think a lot of the public doesn't necessarily understand that. Like for OC spray, uh, CS gas, tasers, even some rubber rounds, like I've all been had all those used on me before I'm allowed to use it. So I know what its actual effects are. And like you mentioned, uh, CS doesn't necessarily work on everybody. I've had some buddies go, go through the gas chamber with me and just walk out there perfectly fine. And, but then you hit them with OC spray when they walk out and it, that, that'll get them. Um, but yeah, I'd definitely rather have these items on hand and not need them than be stuck in a situation where you actually need them and they're not there. Right. So, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Councilmember Stockton. Yes, thank you for the presentation. Um, I have the uh, fortunate uh, experience to, to have some, um, to view some of the equipment that you've talked about. I'm, I haven't quite gotten to the $9,000 sniper rifle yet, um, but I do recognize the importance of, of having good optics and good equipment. Um, Chief Ian, does this equipment help um, the, the Vacaville Police Department save lives and just de-escalate situations that could likely evolve into a deadly force situation? Absolutely, 100%. And you have trained individuals in the police department that are capable of using this stuff in accordance with state law, like 835A? Absolutely. If you're not trained on it, you don't deploy it. Okay. Then um, is this, uh, I'd like the motion that we approve um, for the Vacaville Police Department to continue to use this equipment. I have a motion. Second. I have a second. Roll call. Oh, no, roll call. I'm so used to roll call. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Unanimous. Thank you. Excuse me, Mr. Mayor, we need to read the title. Yeah, no, I was going to actually I'm, I'm so allow sorry. her this time. <laughs> Ordinance adopting and approving Vacaville Police Department Policy 709, Military Equipment Use Policy, and the 2022 Vacaville Police Department Military Equipment List. Thank you very much. 9A, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor and members of the council. This is another presentation from our Vacaville Police Department. Um, Chief Ian Schmutzler and... Lieutenant Katie Cardona are here to give you an update on the youth services section of our department. Good evening, Mr. Mayor and Council. We're back in front of you, uh, this time with uh, Lieutenant Katie Cardona, who oversees, among many, many other things, uh, our youth services section. And she's here to provide a requested update on our, our YSS uh, unit. Thank you, Chief. So again, I'm here to provide for you an update on our current youth services section. You'll see throughout this presentation, um, it's often referred to as YSS um, and predominantly known for our school resource officers or SROs within our unit that are assigned to various campuses within our city. Um, I'd first like to touch on YSS mission. Um, the mission of our unit is to provide safety and security to school campuses within the city of Vacaville. 
We provide a variety of services to support the needs of youth in our city. We prioritize engaging with our students within our community to promote positive police and youth interactions. We understand the importance and significance of positive interactions between our police officers and our youth and the long-term positive impact that that has for our youth, for our police department, and our, for our community as a whole. Additionally, we partner and build relationships with our Vacaville Unified School District, as well as the Travis Unified School District. We have two campuses within our city limits that um, are under Travis Unified School District jurisdiction. So we do partner with them and continue to build relationships with the district so we are successful in our mission. So who we serve, there are approximately 20 uh, campuses or schools within our city. This is 20 of those that you would traditionally consider um, a public or school campus. There are additional schools that would rightfully qualify as a school, but are private or smaller preschools or charter schools in addition to these. This, uh, as I previously mentioned, in, in, includes those two schools uh, within the Travis Unified School District as well. That yields us approximately 15,000 students within our city that we serve. Calls for service uh, on campus are generally responded to by our youth services section and they are supplemented by patrol when necessary. So where are we located? The many don't know, but our YSS unit is uh, ran out of our sergeant's office, which is located at Wilsey Wood High School on campus. Uh, our school resource officers and professional staff are also based at four schools within our city. These schools are Vacaville High School, Wilsey Wood High School, Vacopinion Middle School, and Willis Jepson Middle School. So each of these schools have a designated office where officers or professional staff can report to every single day and work out of. Uh, clinical staff, uh, professional staff are also assigned within YSS to provide additional support for the unit. These can come in the form of mental health coordinators, counselors, and our diversion program is, is supplemented by professional staff as well. In a nutshell, our diversion program is um, a program where if a student is subject to an arrest where the offense qualifies under diversion requirements, um, or if their criminal history is as such to qualify them for our diversion program, then that student would be referred to our youth services section for follow-up. The goal of this is to work with our youth um, and their families to identify any underlying problems or root causes and hopefully deter them from uh, continuing this behavior before they are of age or to keep them out of the system. Our youth services sworn staffing. So currently YSS is budgeted with one sergeant and up to four officers within our unit. Okay. So staffing at the end of the 2021-2022 school year that, that uh, recently ended left us with one officer in charge and one school resource officer. Which brings me to staffing challenges. Our department is facing serious staffing challenges. As a result, some school resource officers have been temporarily reassigned to ensure minimum staffing levels are maintained within patrol in order to provide citywide service. This service includes response to schools. Um, it's important to note that uh, whenever 
there is a YSS officer tied up or unavailable, that all calls for service are handled either by YSS or patrol on a regular basis. Some examples of these um, due to our staffing challenges of patrol responding um, throughout the last school year include any fights or threats to safety at school campuses were handled by patrol um, or the recent bear sighting that we all recall recently that was handled by patrol. So patrol is able to supplement YSS. Uh, due to long-term injuries and staffing challenges, um, again, YSS did end the previous school year with one OIC or officer in charge and one school resource officer. Um, however, as we begin our new school year, the 2022-2023 school year, which is about to begin, we are, uh, this unit will consist of one officer in charge and two school resource officers. So we have been able to increase staffing for this uh, next school year, however, you know, the hope is to, as we navigate continued staffing challenges, the hope would be if and when our staffing changes to continuously reevaluate our resources and availability to allocate more resources to YSS to make it whole, but this is how we are currently running this unit. Great, thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, any comments from the public? Seeing none, I'll close public comment. Council member Stockton. Yes, thank you for the presentation. Uh, with school right around the corner, you could imagine this is a, this is a hot topic amongst the community uh, with everything that's been happening in the country. Uh, what are the timelines to get the youth services um, or YSS completely fully, or I guess fully staffed? So that's, um, that's a, a question that uh, we, we talk about constantly uh, with the, the challenges of uh, deploying staff uh, as we see the need throughout the city. Um, right now we have seven uh, trainees that are, that are in the field training program. Uh, six of those uh, won't be released until at least um, another two and a half to three months. So that will definitely help uh, when, when that additional staffing is released to supplement patrol and allow us to get to a, to a healthier staff. We also have currently seven individuals that are off on either modified duty or on a injury that's got them uh, at home. Some of these folks are coming back in a week. Some of them are coming back maybe in a month to, to longer. Um, and then between now and December 31st, we have seven, seven seems to be the, the, the critical number here, seven folks that are uh, planning to, to retire. So as we're, we're onboarding folks, we do know there's retirements. So Katie, as well as other staff within the police department um, are very active in the hiring and recruitment uh, of staff. Um, she and others are working in, in great partnership with HR, with finance to try and look at different solutions in order to, to increase that. So it's, it's something where once we do have patrol back at a, a full staffing level, we, we need to, again, and this is a, a theme, is, is continually look for response from the community on what priorities are. Uh, schools are a big priority, especially with, with recent events that have happened nationwide. Uh, so we understand that. Um, homelessness is also a big priority. So we're looking at crew uh, and other uh, traffic is down a significant amount. So we know that traffic um, and you drive around town and you can kind of see it, uh, people are driving a bit crazy. So we know that there's, um, there's those units that need to be replenished. So it's a matter of weighing all that and constantly, you know, reevaluating on what needs to be, be done. Okay. And 
you know, going, going over your presentation, it sounds like you have one at each high school, one at the middle school. Patrol kind of fills in the gaps. I'm sure people take vacations and things like that happen. There's several elementary schools. Do we have a plan to maybe expand this unit? Or, uh, what, what's being done or what's the long-term goal as far as all the elementary schools and some of our most vulnerable kids? <coughs> Right, so one of, one of the things uh, that we, uh, we do frequently within command staff, um, we, we get these ideas that come up from our line level staff, and frankly, they're, they're incredibly uh, innovative and intuitive. And one of those ideas recently was adding, um, having two additional SROs that would essentially uh, manage the elementary schools. So there's, I wanna say there's 13 or 14 elementary schools um, in town, including Travis. So having those split up between two SROs, the lucky number seven comes up again. So each one would have uh, responsibility for seven elementary schools. They do have a lot fewer calls that need uh, an actual officer to, to respond. So in addition to maybe overseeing those elementary schools, those two officers would also be assigned to the PAL program where they would work with, uh, with our, our staff that, that focuses on, on youth programs um, and those in our, our clinical services division as well. So it's sort of a multi-faceted you know, faceted type of SRO uh, that I think is, is effective. Um, we don't need, I don't think need to go overboard um, and it, they're you know, expensive obviously for staff, uh, but I think adding two um, in the long term is, is the, the best, best scenario for us. Okay, I was fortunate to have been an SRO at two different schools at, at my former agency. Um, and I know that in, in that situation, the school district shared some of those costs. Is, is any of that happening? At this point, uh, actually right before COVID hit, we were in discussions with the school district uh, to uh, look at a, a cost sharing um, um, situation. We, right now we uh, pay for all of our SROs um, out of the general fund. So we are actively gonna re-engage that conversation with the school district, um, uh, obviously, you know, they, they have their budgetary concerns and situations, but um, right now we do pay the full bill. I know a lot of the calls that we get as council members are related to traffic and different things happening, you know, on their way to school while kids are going to school um, and when they're getting off of school. Can you go over some of the responsibilities that our SROs have and, you know, what they provide outside of just the normal safety of the kids in case somebody tries to go on campus? So our SROs partner with school staff to identify issues within each of individual school. So they are best suited to respond to any issue that may come their way. Um, so in addition to dealing with any safety issues, um, you know, any general calls for service, they are also able to really get to know our youth and engage with them. Um, additionally, they are heavily involved in our diversion program, which I previous, previously spoke of, where we get to really try and intervene when a student is, is heading in a, in, a, in a direction where we need to alter their behavior. So um, it's not just always responding to a, a, crime, or a crime in progress or anything like that. They are engaging with our youth, they are building relationships with school staff, and they are best suited to respond to incidents as they get to know these, these um, you know, our stakeholders better. And so um, they're very much involved with things outside of just law enforcement. Thank you. Councilmember Ritchie. <coughs> Sorry, I wasn't very, listening answered a lot of questions, so I don't talk as much. Um, but I think it's an amazing program, so Roy did a great job. I was talking to, I've asked questions. Um, 
really try to sum down, like, just what do you need? Um, I, I think that SROs are amazing. Um, I, I'm thinking back uh, by own younger self, and um, the last thing we talked about, you know, Cardona was the relationship. And I remember from Jepson to high school, those very interesting times. Um, you know, having an officer around and having them, uh, it's not just stopping you when you do a problem, but they watch and absorb, and they're able to be there to say, hey, listen, man, it's not the right thing to do. Or, like, it's, really, it's a very pivotal time for kids' lives. And having, having SROs that aren't just there only when something happens, but to say, hey, listen, I can tell the water's getting hot. Maybe chill out. Or hey, what you're doing, you think it's cool now. But that, it really helps. It really helps that, that engagement and like really getting in contact with the youth. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, Speak from personal experience, I guess I am, because you know, um, but uh, I made it here. But um, it's, it's in, I think it's really important. I think it's really important. It just, I think there's no better time to make sure that crew is back on. Um, having all these kids walking back and forth to school and not having a crew unit to be able to put a real lockdown on people that aren't totally okay. You know, people are, the last thing I want is a pack of young, like, kids or boys walk in school and all of a sudden they have they walk by somebody's having an episode and have to live that in my conscience like hey that guy flipped out and did something to a young, a young girl because we didn't have enough support to make sure they can walk to school safely um so i, I would what we can do to make sure crew is ready to rock and roll and sro is dialed in i mean it's the last thing on my conscience is like we could have solved this if we just would have funded it better or equipped our team be able to reenact and engage with our small community of people in the streets. But it's tough, and I, I just want something, I want something to happen to be a woulda, coulda, shoulda. And like, that, that dollar amount will never be made up for the life that's ruined by some young boy or girl that's touched or harassed or something happens. Um, I, you know, it, it's amazing, like, um, what can happen. Thank you. Councilmember Silva. Yeah, um, first, uh, congratulations on your promotion. Oh, uh, Lieutenant Cardona. Thank you. And you too, Chief. Um, Thanks. <laughs> still want to give him a tailgate, though. Um, to, uh, I know when I was on school board, they, uh, I heard from a lot of administrators their appreciation, of, particularly at the, the high school level, uh, of having that, that type of service available uh, when, when unfortunately needed, um, as is many other things. So, um, you know, so I just I want to extend that, uh, make sure that was clear also for the public. Um, and also since it's kind of brought up, um, I'm 100% against uh, having, putting any additional financial cost strain on our public education system when, you know, they're already trying to deal with a lot of ends, uh, a lot of difficulties on their end uh, with respect to getting, uh, you know, their own staffing issues, their own ability to address their kids, their students, the 15,000 students' issues and so on. So um, that's maybe more for the council. So, um, so thank you. Thank you. Councilmember Wiley. Uh, thanks for the information. Just a couple of comments and questions. Um, so I understand public officers. So if Buckingham and Charter, you don't have a presence there, but if there was an issue that came up, then you would just respond to them like any other issue across the city? So we do have a significant presence at Buckingham. If, because if they generate a call for service, um, we need to respond to that. But our, our YSS unit has been proactive in building relationships with that school as well. 
um, because of the, the attendance there, um, we need to make sure that we um, have a, a real touch on, on that school and the students there. So we do respond to Buckingham and, and various charter schools as well. All right, and then we got a letter this week about a, from a citizen near Vacahai and there were a lot of complaints and I saw that you were going to try to follow up on that. So um, is that part of a SRO's thing just to see what's going on in the parking lots and things like that before and after school or not really? Or? Yes, absolutely. That would fall under YSS and, and um, that very issue uh, will be followed up by our YSS unit. So generally, if there's an issue happening in the moment and YSS is available, they will respond. If not, then patrol will respond. But oftentimes, even those cases are then forwarded to YSS for more follow-up as well, since they are more adequately prepared to address individual school campus um, issues. And in the last situation, I assume that there's also coverage of football games because that's often an issue when there's a lot of <laughs> angst. So are they always at football games or only when they are expected to have a problem or and basketball games and those sort of things? Yes, it is a general procedure of ours to open up um, the football games for any officer available to work up to a certain amount based on the uh, general uh, how large the, the game is going to be or if we you know have any issues that we're aware of, but that is something that we do um, allocate our resources to make sure that we are attending those. So with teachers, you know, you just have to go to everything if you have to go to everything, but I, does overtime kick in for the SROs because that's only fair? Does that other people get overtime? Overtime may be required um, either for YSS or for an officer to cover a football game if that is needed to provide safety for that event. All right, thank you very much. Council Member Sullivan. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you for bringing this back. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and, and congratulations on the promotion. Great choice. Um, I, I think I wanted to echo some of Councilmember Silva's comments. You know, the one thing I, I hear consistently from principals, staff, um, even even students, my, my own son talks about how amazing and professional the SROs are, the officers are. He says they're firm but fair is what my son says. Um, so, you know, I, you guys are shining stars. And I know the school district really appreciates the services that, that you perform. Um, it's kind of a depressing state of affairs that we actually have to talk about this next topic that I want to bring up, but it's a reality, sadly, and many of us have kids, and you know, we watched Duvaldi and Parkland and all these other really terrible things. As a father, it's probably one of my, my biggest, deepest fears. Um, you know, I appreciate the sentiments from, from Councilmember Stockton about getting SROs, or more SROs at schools, but it'd be damn near impossible to have an, an SRO at every school, and they're all the time, and you know, not to say we shouldn't look and think and, and pursue items like that, one of the areas that I've probably been most frustrated with as an elected official, either on the school board or on city council now and as a parent, is the inability, I think, for the electeds to really elevate this discussion and talk about school safety and what are we doing to prevent active shooter and really kind of getting to a place where we need to get and not trying to, to say anything negative about the, the school district, but as a parent and a consumer of education, I don't necessarily feel like the school district is totally prepared and maybe there's some room to grow there. Um, I think the staff probably do an excellent job, staff to staff, but you know, elected to elected, it's something we're not talking about and, and frankly, probably not taking as serious as we should. Um, so I guess the reason I'm saying all this is because I think, A, we need to think about it as a group of electeds and prod our school board to do more because um, we're not doing much, I think, at the elected level. And then B, maybe at the staff level, we could look at things, you know, I know the district's installing cameras now, I know they're installing other technologies. I mean, I'd love to have staff as involved as possible um, in, in those discussions as you can be. You know, I don't know if you have access to the cameras in dispatch now, I know to some degree we do. You know, I know some cities are using um, gunfire detection systems, so a shot goes off on a block and automatically officers are dispatched. I mean, to have those in schools. I mean, 
what else could we do to really protect our kids with the with the staffing levels that we actually have practically possible? Um, uh, you know, are, are we doing threat assessments on campuses? Are you coaching and training folks? You know, the, the more we can do to protect our campuses, the better. And so I know the SROs have a great pulse on campus. I know you guys are probably doing lots of stuff staff to staff, but it is an issue as a dad that terrifies me. And I think frankly, um, we've been kind of trying to get in the three by three with the school district, larger discussions about this and it just hasn't happened. And so I, I just kind of want to put that out there publicly because you know, it, unfortunately it's, it's the new thing in, in the United States or it's not even new anymore, I guess. And, it, and it's terrifying. And so if you ever have thoughts or ideas or things, especially that maybe don't require ongoing technology systems, coordination, you know, things of that sort, um, can you please bring those back our way or maybe bring those to, to wherever they need to go? I just, the more prepared we are on those campuses, the more involved you guys can be in terms of, I, I almost view SROs as kind of like coaches, mentors on, on site to help the students. This is kind of a different category that I just feel like we don't necessarily have a great handle on and maybe we do, but um, again, as a councilman, as a school board member, as a dad, it really worries me and I, the more we can do, the better. So again, thanks for the presentation, really appreciate it and, and thank you for the excellent work your team does. I only hear great stuff about the SROs on campus, so good job. Councilmember Stockton. Sorry, just one follow-up. Um, are your SROs and the police department intimately involved in the conversations regarding safety of our kids in schools? And does your department and or your SWAT team have plans should, should there be any sort of um, incident like we saw in Uvalde? Because clearly Vacaville is not Uvalde. I mean, we've seen time and time again, the bravery of the men and women that wear your uniform and protect us here in town. So can you elaborate on on whether or not those conversations are happening, whether there are plans in place to protect our kids, because you know cameras are a great tool, but somebody there um, as quickly as possible that acts is going to be you know what I would think would detour someone from thinking that they could do something like that in our town. Yeah, so I, I know the the SROs that are assigned to the the four major campuses they they're in constant conversation and, and contact with the administration of those particular sites. And usually uh, each SRO is assigned, I think, to a minimum of four years. Um, so they, they begin to know the ins and outs of that campus. That being said, we have schematics, we have maps um, of all the different campuses throughout uh, the school districts um, that are available as a response mechanism uh, through our, our, our CAD system. Um, and, and I can say, going back to as far as um, Columbine, that changed the, the paradigm when it came to active shooters. Um, you know, previously it was contain the scene and, and pull the red handle and wait for SWAT. That changed the dynamic. We then started doing active, active shooter training. This department has been doing it ever since then. Um, and it continues to evolve and get better and better. And I can very, effectively say to, to this council and to the, the members of this community and the parents who have kids in, in Vacaville, uh, God forbid something like that were to happen, there would be a significant response uh, and an immediate response from this department. I just, I just wanted to make sure that I um, told all of you, I think you do a wonderful job, uh, first and foremost, and regardless of who's paying for our school resource officers, our children, are the most important thing in our community. They're the future of Vacaville. And so protecting them is the, my, like my number one priority when it would come to public safety. So before you fill the homeless intervention team or uh, crew or whatever, you know, all of these really wonderful programs that really make Vacaville stand out, 
Um, my priority would be to make sure that we have sufficient staffing and youth services because our, if we can't protect our kids, we don't have a we don't have a future here. So, Councilmember Richie, sure just quickly, when I talk, um, so Council Silva addressed on visual costs, but that leaves my switch. Starts hard to talk. Um, it's like you know, don't want to burden them with more costs, and then you know, Councilman Nolan really really talked about this. Everything else did the highlight and that, but. Where, is there a quick way you guys can, if the school year is almost on, is, is there any way you guys can find out what would the cost be if faculty and school teachers just doesn't step up? What would the cost be to equip the SROs and you guys to do training with the teachers and educators? And even, oh, who cares overtime? Who cares? Just, just get it done and just do the right thing. And it, it all works out. Um, what does it cost to get more SROs, to get training? To get to all these teachers to understand, hey, listen, you, you know, you, this is this can go so fast, it's, it's going to blink before you know it. Like, to get them, you guys can be trained to the nines, and all, but if they have no idea, they're like, chickens are head cut off. They got it. They have to know. So you guys can work in sync. Like, you guys are are the quarterbacks, they're the players, but they got at least in the right direction, or else you guys can't do your job. So like, how what would it take to like to get a program started like say, this week and Give them just a crash course of just, hey, this is what you guys need to get ready for. And regardless if it's, you know, it's not budget or not, like we, like I think everybody here in this council would, would just say, let's go for it. Let's get, let's get it done. Because, I mean, I agree, kids, I mean, we can't prioritize children. Like, what are we doing? So, I just, what we're going to do is do it fast. work with the uh, city manager. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Thank Absolutely. you. Council Member Sullivan. So, sorry, Mayor. I know this is a long. So, I, I, I Councilmember Ritchie kind of spurred a, a great thought. I mean, I am not by any means an expert on safety of any sort. I mean, that, that's clear. Um, but I mean, there's there's a million different things out there, right? There's adding police officers on campuses. There's buckets of rocks in classrooms, which is insane, but some school districts are doing it. There's training. There's technology. There's all different sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, maybe this is already happening. You're already having discussions on schools. I would love it if you guys had a comprehensive study over the next six months to a year and brought back some options to council that maybe the school district endorsed and supported. Maybe you partnered on. I mean, I'm sure there's best practices out there. I'm sure there's school districts and police departments doing some really incredible stuff. And maybe you guys are doing it. And maybe Councilman Richie and I are like saying stuff that you're already doing. But I, again, I think like Roy said as well, the, or Councilman Stockton said as well, the, the, the kids are our biggest priority. And so again, you know, as a parent, if there's things we can do, if there's items, if you know, maybe you bring back the whole list, the menu, and we sit down with the school district at a three by three and say, look, here's, you know, mild to wild. And, and we actually start looking at some options. I just, I don't think we've ever had that discussion. And maybe you're having it at the staff level, but Again, it's it, preparation in this type of situation is so important. So I, I'd love you guys to brainstorm every idea from crazy to standard and then give us some, some options to work with the school district on over time because I, I just think we can't be more prepared in, in this type of situation. So I'll, I'll stop talking. I, I would really like to hear more about the bucket of rocks, please. <laughs> uh, Councilmember Wiley. I will just add to this conversation to say it's great to be prepared and kids are already kind of so aware of what happens, I do not want to really make them terrified. Um, at some of my teacher things several years ago, some school districts you know, had posters on the wall about what to do if there's an active shooter. And if I had to walk by that every day as a six-year-old and be afraid that you know, behind the door, or if I had to go to the bathroom by myself and some might, someone might be in there, 
I mean, talk about mental health issues. If every day you're afraid that someone's gonna come and shoot you, you have to really think about doing this. So I just had to throw that in from the teacher point of view. Yeah, and as working with clinical services, and, and you'll have that presentation at the next council meeting, uh, that's where we find that balance of you know, being prepared, um, holding those trainings, but also not, like you said, terrifying the, the kids and making it feel like a, you know, a, a place of doom and gloom. So yeah, it's a fine balance. <laughs> gotcha. That's thank not you very much for, thank you very much for the presentation. Uh, Mr. City Manager 9B. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, members of the council. This next item is a resolution to execute a site post agreement for the installation of public use and electrical vehicle chargers. Um, Brian McLean from Public Works is here to make a presentation. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor and Council. Um, as the city manager said, this is an item to execute a site host agreement to uh, allow the city of Acreville to install additional electric vehicle chargers uh, throughout the city. Uh, executive order N7920 was signed by Governor Newsom in September 2020. And that executive order declares that cars and light duty vehicles um, sold in the state of California shall be zero emission by 2035. And medium and heavy duty vehicles sold in the state of California shall be zero emission by 2045. In other words, the state is going through a significant change in the way we are going to be transporting individuals across the state. Um, we are moving away from a carbon-based economy to a more of a, an electric zero uh, emission type of uh, situation. Um, paramount to that executive order is the enhancement of the implementation of electric vehicle chargers throughout the state. Now this also aligns with the city's general plan, the Energy Conservation Action Strategy, the ECAS, um, and within that section of our general plan, it also details the expansion of EV charger infrastructure throughout the city. With that said, and the goal for the state uh, to move toward these uh, lofty goals, um, in 2021, the Bay Area Air Quality Management District, the BAAQMD, uh, released the charge grant, um, and that is a grant funding uh, uh, program for EV charger infrastructure projects, um, whereby the, the, the grant itself was designed to allow municipalities such as the city of Vacaville to enhance their uh, applicability to be able to install EV chargers. Um, significant to this particular grant was that the air quality management district made it a, uh, basically a, a key component that applicants were really encouraged to partner with a, an existing EV charger infrastructure vendor, uh, a vendor that was already in established who has a, a reputable reputation um, in installing EV chargers. With that said, um, to advance the installation of EV chargers throughout the county, the Solano Transportation Authority jumped in uh, last year and they began looking at the list of EV charger vendors um, from the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. They interviewed those vendors and, and did background checks as well as uh, looked into their responsiveness and the ability to be able to do a turnkey uh, EV charger installation program. They identified Electric Vehicle Charging Solutions, EVCS, as the highest scored. Um, and with that, 
The city of Fairfield, Vallejo, and Solano County are currently working with EVCS to expand their charger network in their particular cities. And just a little bit of a background on what, what is a, a charging system. Um, as you can see from the graphic here, moving from left to right, you've got your power, your transformer, your meter, your breaker, your interconnect switches, then the wiring for the system, and then the charger device itself. That's the, uh, the pedestal device that we all see at the supermarkets and whatnot that have uh, chargers installed already. Typically, the all the way up from power to the breaker panel or interconnect, that's all done um, by PG&E. Um, and then the conduit and wiring up to the chargers is usually a third party. Um, EVCS, um, through an, an arrangement with uh, EVCS, they will do all the project management, all the coordination with PG&E. Um, they will do the design and finally the <laughs> construction and commissioning of the system. Um, in essence, uh, with EVCS, you're able to get a turnkey system um, and be able to launch a, an EV charger system very swiftly. As you can see from the photos here, the level two charger on the left, uh, it's a smaller unit. Um, typically it's a, um, a, a slower charge. And then the, the larger unit, which is becoming more prevalent. This is a, a level three, it's called a fast charger. Uh, this will charge your battery about 80% uh, within 60 minutes. Evaluation of the potential EV charger sites involves uh, several criteria. The first of which is city-owned property. Um, is it have, does the site have sufficient space to allow uh, for an EV charger system without impeding the activity of that particular site? Um, does there, is there sufficient site traffic to allow for consistent, reliable use of that particular uh, EV charger unit? And finally, proximity to power. Those are the four primary variables. With that, the city staff started to investigate uh, with EVCS uh, locations throughout the city where EV chargers may go. Um, as you can see in this graphic here, these uh, are the 12 uh, public parking lots in the downtown. All of these sites were identified preliminarily as acceptable for EV charger installations, as well as the two sites at the uh, Backville Transportation Center off of Allison Drive and the Three Oaks Community Center off of Alamo. I'd like to stress, you know, that this is a preliminary uh, evaluation of these sites. Staff is continuing to evaluate other sites throughout the city, and as more sites are determined to be viable, those sites can be added to this list as well. In addition to uh, the sites that I just mentioned, the city has uh, various legacy sites. Um, Vacaville was a a predominant uh, innovator um, and uh, trailblazer in the early uh, 2000s in the installation of EV chargers. Uh, we have several sites, one uh, particularly here in the, the rear of City Hall. They have these older generation um, EV chargers. Staff is, uh, staff is putting forward, um, as detailed in the uh, staff report, uh, a recommendation to transfer these particular legacy sites um, to an EVCS charging system where EVS would come in, remove the old head, um, the charger head, put a new charger um, and dispenser on top of the, uh, the site itself, and then pick up fully 100% of the maintenance. And we'll get down to the nitty gritty. The host agreement is a 10 year agreement. Um, the estimated value for each of the new sites 
is about $1 million and about $500,000 to convert the legacy sites. There is no local match requirement, meaning the city of Vacaville does not have to outlay a dime for this program. EBCS will manage from cradle to grave all of the uh, requirements in terms of the design, the coordination with PG&E, the installation, the permitting, et cetera. They'll manage those funds on our behalf. Additional key benefits, which are really key, these are outside of the boilerplate uh, agreement, site host agreement that EBS initially approached the city with. Um, after six months of, of uh, intense negotiations, we were able to secure uh, a waiver on the security deposit. We were able to uh, agree and enter that into the agreement that EBCS will be responsible for 100% of the maintenance for the term of the agreement. And then most importantly, 30% of the carbon credits in years three through 10 would be claimed by the city. That quantitatively allows the city to be able to really move the ball forward in terms of reaching that sustainable city that the council is looking for. In terms of rates, these are publicly accessible EV chargers. Um, there is a charge to use these chargers. Um, the rates are set by the, the various levels of the charger that you use. If you use a level two, the charge is 29 cents per kilowatt hour. And for a fast charger, a level three, it's 49 cents per kilowatt hour. Staff went out and evaluated the cost for kilowatt hour charge here in Vacaville, as well as Solano County and found rates range between 29 cents and 61 cents per kilowatt hour, effectively meaning that the EVCS rates are highly competitive. Now there's one more piece of the rate issue that I'd like to bring to council's attention. The EVCS agreement has a site host revenue provision that allows the site, ho site host to be able to collect a nickel for every kilowatt hour produced, every, every kilowatt hour utilized. Staff is recommending foregoing that five cent kilowatt uh, revenue generation and applying it back to the rates so that the level two rate drops down to 24 cents per kilowatt hour and the level three fast charger drops down to 44 cents per kilowatt hour. There are several agreement benefits. Um, I typically don't read all of these bullet points, but they are, um, they are very specific to this agreement and I think uh, a significant benefit to the city of Vacaville. It enhances this through this agreement, it enhances the city council's sustainability energy goals. It advances the city's ECAS goals, expanding the city's EV infrastructure. It leverages existing grant funding opportunities. It's a turnkey approach that has very little impact on city staff. So while this project is moving forward, our engineering staff and public works can continue to work on the projects that council has been already approved and is moving forward with. EVCS is responsible for 100% of the maintenance for the term of the agreement. There's some economy of scale here in that the city of Fairfield and Vallejo and Solano County are already installing EVS chargers. They're working with EVS right now. 30% of those carbon credits in years three through 10 are the city of Vacaville's to claim, which helps again move that carbon footprint forward in terms of us, the city of Vacaville, being able to claim those credits, which enhances our ability to uh, apply for future grants um, and other funding mechanisms um, that are tied to our carbon, carbon offset. And finally, 
fixed EV charger rates for the term of the agreement. That 24 cents for the level two and 44 cents for the level three is fixed for the 10 year term. Speaking of the end of the agreement, this is another one of the major uh, benefits of um, this type of program. There are several options that uh, council 10 years from now um, could consider. Um, and one of the major benefits of this program is that all of the infrastructure, as you see under the infrastructure remains piece, that is ours. It stays in the ground. It's ours for future perpetuity. Um, all that changes or could change is the charger. For example, option one, we could decide to extend the agreement with EVCS. We could bring in a, a different vendor to provide a new charger. In that case, EVCS would remove their charger and all the infrastructure would remain and the new charger vendor would come in and put a new charger on top of the electric outlet that's already existing. Or maybe the city of Vacaville decides in 10 years that we wanna be the owners of the charger and then we install the chargers. Several different options to consider. In terms of environmental, uh, this item is exempt from CEQA because of the minor structures that it pertains to. And for fiscal impact and strategic goal, in terms of fiscal impact, there is no impact to the city's general fund. There's no local grant match requirement. The estimated total value based on the initial sites that I listed previously is between 16 and $18 million. There is a fee to use the chargers, as I mentioned earlier in the rates, and the strategic goal is goal number four, maintain effective and efficient services. And the recommendation is by simple motion, adopt the subject resolution. Thank you, Back. sir. I'm gonna open it up for a public comment. Yes, ma'am. Please. Sure, thank you. I'm Tracy Perry, local commercial broker, managing and brokering over a million square feet in our local community. Thank you so much for your presentation. That was fantastic. I do have a couple of questions. One, um, by adopting the motion, when would construction plan on commencing? The uh, typical turnaround talking to EVCS is between 18 and 30 months, depending on supply chain at this point. And when would it be available to public to use? I would say uh, within that 30 month parameter, so approximately two years. Thank you very much. And um, would private industry be able to utilize the same path to success or delivery to market as the city would in terms of bringing uh, charging stations to market as well in terms of um, permitting, infrastructure availability, um, credit availability, et cetera? I don't quite understand the, the question. Oh, so um, the city is planning on bringing these items to market for the public to use, public accessibility. If um, private property owners wanted to do the same, would they have the same path to success, not necessarily using these folks, but if they had to um, access infrastructure, if they had to access um, credits, if they had to get through the same process, would they be granted the same access to resources uh, et cetera, et cetera, as the city would. Excellent question. The community development department actually has a streamlined process for the installation of EV chargers. So uh, speaking to our community development department would probably be the best and first uh, option to discuss the installation of, of those private type of EV chargers. Okay, so you're thinking that uh, private parties versus <coughs> the municipalities might have a different path to bringing these to market? 
They could. Okay. Thank you. Interesting. Thanks. I'm going to close public comment, bring it back to Council Member Sullivan. Uh, yeah, uh, two two quick questions. Um, my my first question or, or comment, I guess, is that you know, thinking there's a lot of strategy involved here. So as you were presenting the slide um, with the the Chargers and the Times, I was thinking, you know, what would I do for 60 minutes or a couple hours? Or what? I think there's some strategy maybe in kind of putting these strategically in certain park areas or the, by the library or areas. And, and Jason's pointing out something right now, so maybe we can maybe you've already got. Um, Never mind. So, so it looks like you've already taken some of that into account. But um, I, I just think that it's it's a neat strategy to kind of sprinkle these in places where we want people to frequent and travel. You know, maybe not your typical transit spots, which is great. I do have a little heartburn over the five cents. You know, I get it, and it makes sense. But you know, maybe we could reinvest that in adding more chargers and continuing to build a fund. Maybe we could invest that back into building more solar out at Easterly, um, or maybe we just leave it as is. And I appreciate that the context there, but it just seems like we're giving them five cents that we do something cool. But I also totally understand context there and keeping it affordable so anyways very exciting presentation um thank you councilman roberts um and thank you for your presentation i, I appreciate it vice mayor roberts yeah um we like that this is moving forward um i know we don't have a ton of saying because a lot of it's done by the sta and other agencies uh the only downside i see is because i'm probably i think the only customer that actually has an electric vehicle is the 150 kilowatt hour chargers um because most places are moving past that to 250 now. So my own reservation is installing already kind of outdated infrastructure uh, because a lot more vehicles are moving past that where it's like 150 kilowatt hour level three said 60 minutes. The 250 is now 25 to 30 minutes. Um, but again, if we're getting it free, it's not a, not a huge deal. We're not paying for it. And then for the rates, I know a lot of that's out of our control. Uh, it's mostly PG&E because if you go to SMUD, their electric chargers are half the cost. They're like 14 to 27 cents a kilowatt hour. So I know that's not us, but yeah, I get that people need to, companies need to make their profit, especially if it's going to be free. Um, on that, I did like the, uh, the proposed location, especially a lot around downtown and shopping. So when I stop to charge places, I only stop to charge places where I can get out and go grab coffee or lunch or something like that because not fun just sitting in your car for an hour doing absolutely nothing and a lot of ev vehicle owners do have more expendable income that way they can get around and spend money in our com in our community so yeah i did like the proposed locations for that thank you on the uh, the charger equipment itself um in discussions with evcs uh as as everyone knows the technology continues to advance uh, computer technology is advancing every 18 months the same thing is happening uh, as I understand with the, the EV chargers uh, the devices themselves so uh, we won't be locked in um, to you know those those 150s um, forever um, as as the as the supply chain and the the transitions uh, start to happen to that uh, better more efficient equipment uh, my understanding is EVS will uh, utilize the, you know, the existing current equipment at that time um, to install those chargers. Uh, and then on the rates, uh, our staff's intention, again, looking at uh, the N7920, the, the governor's executive order, as well as our ECAS, our, our city's internal general, uh, general plan ECAS uh, document, uh, focus on moving people toward uh, electric vehicles we're trying to incentivize that as much as possible for 
we did a calculation on, on the, the, the five cent uh, site host return, you know, per kilowatt. It's negligible to the, to the effect, um, at least in staff's uh, recommendation uh, to council here, as opposed to trying to move, for, move the ball forward and encourage uh, that transition to that electric vehicle infrastructure and usage. Councilmember Silva. Thank you, great presentation. Um, not, uh, actually some of the comments are already mentioned. Uh, there are, in the, the public comment, there's a couple areas uh, that I would be perfectly happy to see uh, charging stations that would uh, do exactly uh, what was mentioned, bring more foot traffic to certain areas to help out that, that economy. That said, all the suggestions look uh, great uh, from my perspective, so happy to support that. Um, so just a quick question. You mentioned that the cost for the five cents was negligible. Approximately how much was that estimate to be? We're, we're estimating it's somewhere between $2,000 and $3,000 per site uh, per year. So it's, that cost is, is tiny um, compared to the, again, the, the overall impact of being able to keep those costs down. And it, again, key to this is we are locking in those rates for 10 years, which is an unheard of. Our, our rates in PG&E continue to go up. So we've been able to, to work this deal with, with EVCS and work that actual cost into the contract. So um, we're we are solidifying those rates um, to those uh, to the uh, users of those EV chargers uh, for the next decade. Right, uh, Council member. I was just gonna make a motion. Oh, sure, I'll entertain motion. motion. I, no, I still have two more, but I'll entertain motion. That was a uh, motion to approve 9B. Okay, and uh, on the question, I still have Councilmember Wiley and yourself. Okay. Councilmember Wiley. Thanks for the information. And you said that this was from the Bay Area Air Quality. So from the Yellow Solana Air Quality, we have approved some stations or funded some electricity apartments. So is there um, a law that apartments have to have them? Or does Vacaville make sure that new apartments or condos going in have charging stations? That's a good question, and I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that. That'd be community development. I think someone's coming. It's a benefit. I would think that they would want. Them. Right. <clears throat> I have it. Go ahead. Thank you, Mayor. I don't have the code in front of me, but at minimum, apartment complexes have to pre-wire a certain number of parking spaces to um, make it so it's easy to drop these pedestals in. And there's a new building code that's coming online in January. I imagine the needles will move further. Um, we'll be bringing that to the council later this year. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Because I, I agree with you. I think we really need to incentivize this and, and push people this direction. So thank you. Councilmember Stockton. Great presentation, um, very exciting. Uh, I know that there's been additional presentations of you know where we've done the shop Vacaville stuff. Is there? Uh, is there a way that we could provide local businesses like a voucher program where if people park in a certain location, they can get that five cent discount by having you know, like entering some sort of code or getting some sort of voucher from local businesses to incentivize that? The, the rate structure as EBS, uh, EVCS has uh, designed and, and staff has negotiated, it's a, it's a pretty simplistic rate structure in terms of um, programming it into the system. So I don't know if their systems would be able to uh, anticipate uh, that more complexity. You'd have to have a uh, pre-programmed card with specific information in it uh, to be able to access that additional five cents. 
I just know they do that with certain parking garages and thought it might be a, a unique way to incentivize people to shop at, at some of our businesses. Um, my last question would be, um, what process is there right now for the community to provide input on where these are gonna be located? Because I know that every business owner in town is gonna want one of these right in front of their, their place. So who do they contact? How do they do it? What's the process? Public Works. You can contact me. Uh, I'll certainly take their information. Again, we will go through the, the process, the, the four primary uh, pieces of the puzzle. Is it, is it city property? Is it not going to, uh, is there enough parking that it won't impede the, the, the site uh, function itself? Is there enough you know, turnover in the site to, to make the, uh, the use of the, the EV more consistent and then the, the proximity to power? So we'll go through those filters. And then after it, we go through that initial analysis, then it's passed over to EVCS to do their preliminary analysis and, and uh, move, move it forward to um, actual uh, finalization and, and then into construction. Vice Mayor. Oh, you're good. Okay, I have a motion to second. All those in favor? Aye. Any opposed? It's unanimous. Thank you, Brian. Uh, we'll move to item 10, report to city manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. The only thing that I will just uh, briefly mention to the council is to assure you that the item that was discussed at business from the floor will in fact be on the August 23rd meeting. Awesome, thank you. Report to city council. I see none. I see some. I see lots. Vice Mayor Roberts. Yeah, um, something that council members talking that I've been talking about since we got on council was the use of vice mayor during election seasons. And since my current point of papers, I'd like to agendize on the next uh, council meeting to reappoint vice mayor. Um, so. Okay, great. Uh, Councilmember Silva. Um, it's, we, we'll just put that on there, no? Yeah, generally, if you want to put something on the agenda, you have to have a majority vote of the council. Okay, you want to second that? All those in favor? Aye. Perfect. There we go. Good. Council Member Silva? Uh, I want to thank uh, pre-Eagle Scout Jacob Penrose. Uh, he did this, uh, put together this Eagle Scout project uh, to beautify this area on the south end of the Rocky Hill Trail where there's some art pieces that went over over the summer. Um, so he brought his, uh, got some volunteers out there and um, there was a, the second day, about five minutes after we started, there was this little tractor that was coming up the trail and uh, it was actually County Supervisor uh, John Vasquez. So I wanna thank him for coming out and uh, giving me something to joke about. And then, uh, but no, I really appreciate his, his, uh, his, his effort uh, to the community. And I uh, also wanna thank Recology. Uh, they were able to donate uh, some mulch uh, for the area to help, uh, you know, beautify it, as well as uh, Geo Childers, there was some you know, dump sites that are around there um, that, uh, you know, some dumpsters were uh, dropped off so we can help uh, pick that up and um, keep that area clean. So I uh, just uh, definitely want to thank that. And uh, for those of you that staff are able to stop by, thank you all uh, as well. Council Member Wiley. I just wanted to say it was a very successful national night out on Tuesday night and I appreciated all the police presence and I went around with uh, Lieutenant Cardona, so it was wonderful. And uh, that was a very good event. And with the discussion of schools, Travis schools begin this week. The students report on Thursday. Holy and smoke. so um, just there will probably be a lot more things going on in the streets and everything else. 
and I'll push again for a crosswalk. We have no crosswalk on that tree further down from the school where people are walking. And um, just at the end of July, we had new leadership at Travis Air Force Base, and we have a new commander. I wasn't able to be here then, but there is an upcoming welcome in September that's being planned. And just, I wanna encourage the community to support Travis Air Force Base in any way we can. Councilmember Ritchie. <laughs> um, so to talk about, someone said that, Wiley said, sorry, it's good. I think the air right above me is being hard. Um, it, it was an amazing national night out, and it just, um, I showed up again, it's Officer Hightower. I, I think it's just, it was amazing to see the kids and the parents uh, doing the event. It, it really shows uh, why this community is so amazing and how when you bring people together, it, it, it's, it's, it really shows the why, like why we do what we do, why public safety steps up. You, you guys are, you're, you're turning your lights off and going to the same neighborhoods you guys just patrolled. And I think it's, it's an amazing environment we live in Vacaville. We're like a national night out, you guys aren't going to another city to live. Like it's just so common to other officers. Like you guys are going to your neighborhoods. You might be 20 houses down from a party. And it's just pretty awesome and amazing. It, it was just interesting. So I got a little, every year get better. So I, I bought the whole stack of these things. Like they're called awesome citations. So I was, ha I was handing out citations to these kids and I was like quizzing them on capitals and this and that. And it was amazing. So I had one young lady at the mobile home at the mobile home park and she told her story and she wanted to be she's like i'm strong and courageous i want to be a, a police officer so i wrote it and i handed it to um sergeant uh, piro and it's amazing how she told him why and like that that interaction she'll, she'll never forget it i mean like i'm dressed up goofy and she wrote it down i said you know you, you go tell him that but that's exactly if you can touch one person you did your job and so i think the National Night Out, like that's the purpose, is to get out of the community and really show that you guys are tangible, you're part of the community, and we all come together. And, <clears throat> and the other one was, I had the opportunity to really touch base and being in downtown all the time, um, really have the pulse on the, on the market, understanding that some businesses aren't doing as well as others, and it's all through California America. It's like, I, I want to try, I want to kind of address um, something that I was really, I should talk to uh, Don about is, hey, I want to really just kind of talk about this in public. Um, small business grant program. You know, talking about grants, and it's really important to have a grant writer, I mean, for the city, full time, to make sure that we're not missing any opportunities for money that can be spent and reallocate. The, the federal government has a lot of money, and if you don't know where to grab it, then you're not going to get it. And I would love to have a grant writer for the city and for our public safety, public works can either utilize or share, but I would hate to find out that we miss opportunities to make our community better and our, our departments better because we didn't spend a little money. You have to invest to make, and I think an investment in the grant writer could really benefit our communities and our, and our departments here in Vacaville. So, um, I, I just- Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, we're gonna move to item 12, closed session. We will not be recording out. Good night, Vacaville.